Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Ollie, played by Tessa Thompson, is barely getting by in the film Little Woods, an economically depressed fracking boomtown in North Dakota. She has left her days of illegally running prescription pills over the Canadian border behind, eyeing a potential new job that would finally break her out of this small town. But when her mother dies, she is reunited with her estranged sister, Deb, played by Lily James, who faces a mounting crisis, the combined effect of an unplanned pregnancy and a deadbeat ex. The two find themselves with one week to raise enough money to meet the mortgage of their mom's house or face foreclosure. And that is the backstory behind this really dramatic, incredibly well done in the film Little Woods. And we're joined by the writer and the director, Nia DaCosta. Nia, welcome to Film School. Hi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, what a, what a, just an accomplished drama this film is. It's just such a, um, it's such a, a well-realized film for what it sets out to do and what it achieves. Uh, tell me a little bit about the material, uh, how the story came to you. Sure, yeah. Um, I basically, I, I knew I wanted to tell a story about two women living in a rural part of America. Yeah. Um, I really wanted to interrogate, interrogate that experience and, and look at um, the poverty in particular and how that can be a gendered experience. Um, and I just did a lot of research trying to find the best place to, to really make the story the most urgent and potent it could be, and I, and I stumbled upon this fracking boom town called Wilson, North Dakota. And so I knew after learning about that place and, and learning how how much landscape has changed because of the fracking boom, that that was the right place to tell the story. And um, and I did a ton of research. I went out there. I talked to a lot of people. I developed the, the scripts through the Sundance Lab. Yeah, I really just went from there. Both of these characters, now I, I'm certain in, in casting Tessa Thompson and Lily James, did you have them in mind in terms of writing the film, or was it something that when they came aboard, they they sort of infused the character with, with mm. characteristics that you hadn't written into the original script? How do it because there's such a there's um, such a dynamic partnership here. They play off each other so yeah. well. I'm just kind of curious, so sort of in the writing and then the actual film itself, how that played out. Yeah, um, I didn't write with anyone in mind. And then I met Tessa at the Sundance Director's Lab, and she'd come out to help me workshop a couple of scenes from the script. And it was there that I realized pretty quickly that she needed to be Ollie, she needed to be the main character. And she's seriously intelligent and a wonderful collaborator and, and obviously an amazing actor. And so she really helped us to make Ollie sing. And then Deb, uh, played by Lily James, uh, her character definitely was deepened when when, uh, when Lily came on to the to the movie. And that always happens with really good actors. You bring them in and, they, and they, they show you how human your characters really are. So it was a really wonderful experience deepening the characters and, and, and solidifying that relationship with them. In the, in the dynamic between Ollie and Deb, there is uh, this tension that comes from Ollie is a 
proactive. She's a doer. She is she throughout her life. You can even in the backstory of her running drugs for across the Canadian border. She was somebody who was trying to get out of the circumstances they were in, and she has the intelligence mm-hmm. to understand where she is and why that's so important for her and and her future. Whereas Deb yeah. seems Deb seems to be more battered, more reactive, and more. Mm. Sort of at the, she seems, but she does have an inner strength. I mean, there's a certain there's yeah. a certain core of her, but that dynamic and how that plays out. I'm just kind of curious if that was what what I'm saying approximates what that dynamic was with these two characters. One hundred percent. I really wanted to because they're strange at the beginning of the film, and, and I wanted to show that that like without saying like here's the big fight that they had. It's like look at how different they are. Look at how differently they deal with their struggles. And yes, they're both strong women. But they're, you know, always a doer, and Deb, as you say, she's much more reactive, and she's trying to, you know, get herself out of the, she's trying to do better for herself, but, um, but yeah, it's definitely, I want them to feel very different, um, to feel like you can see how they're sisters, but also to show uh, what could have caused the rest in the first place. Um, one of the things about the story and the way it unfolds, and as you described, this is uh, North Dakota, this sort of this fracking boom that's been occurring for many years now, but it's kind of a mm-hmm. boom or bust kind of a, uh, work environment. I mean, the, the, the people that are the, the own the companies are doing well. The people who work in these fields tend to be poor, uh, barely making it. Yeah. Oftentimes they come with a, with a lot of baggage because this is kind of a boom and bust industry, kind of a, a gold yeah. rush of sorts. But one of the things about the film that is so compelling and makes it such a, a, an incredible film uh, and really lifts it up is you continue to show the different, very viable, very uh, relatable ways in which these two women are being sidetracked, are being torpedoed, undermined by mm-hmm. the circumstances they find themselves in, not only just in their relationships, but in sort of the life stuff. And I thought yeah. that adds so much to the film. Tell, talk about that part of the film. This is sort of this the circumstances that they find their, their, themselves in in their lives. Yeah. Um, so a big thing that I wanted to show is like you know when you first meet Ollie at the beginning of, beginning of the film, she's days away from her probation ending, and a lot of people in that situation, you know, they're struggling with money, and like one thing can really to set up a chain of events that, that makes it impossible for them to succeed. Um, and so I wanted to show how precarious it is, you know, being being poor, dealing with poverty, um, and also trying to get your trying to do better for yourself. It's exponentially harder than if you're, you know, already financially stable um, or have like wealth from your family that you can fall back on even if you fail. So I really wanted to show all the things that go into that being a struggle, which is why there are so many issues that we talk about in the film. Yeah, there's all. This is the element that 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 these these the sort of the backstory, the surrounding stories around these two women is this almost inevitable criminality uh, I mean of being poor Mm -hmm. the criminality of being Mm -hmm. poor that's what was coming through to me right when you're left with no other Mm -hmm. options this is what happens oftentimes yeah that's a big yeah that's a big thing for me it's like the reason why she says you know your choices are only as good as your options is because it's true and um, you know I'm not saying that all poor people turn to crime you know it's just that like when you don't have I mean, this is a sort of, like, situation that I often think about. It's, like, EBT, for example, or, or food stamps. Like, if you are do- have issues with money and you have, you're have you able to access food stamps, you don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. 
like that makes such a huge difference because if like everyone needs to eat, right? And if you're worrying about where your next meal is coming from, what would you do to make sure that you can eat or that your kids can eat? You know, so having those programs in place, I think, is so important. And I think in places like this, like maybe not that in particular, but a lot of the the things that I experience in New York City that like kind of help you when you're going through a hard time aren't really in place there, or they're they're really difficult to access, or there's not information about them. So I really want to show like, you know, it's a mix of of how we take care of each other, but also how, like, on an institutional level, how difficult it can be. Yes. And when you don't have that institutional support, you can it can lead you down these paths. And in some ways, how easy it is to slip into the criminal system, and then, then that becomes mm-hmm. its own sort of daunting gauntlet of ways of ways that we, you can your life can completely unravel. 100%. Yeah. Well, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Nia DaCosta. She is the writer and director of the new film Little Woods. It's out uh, this Friday. April 19th. Um, check it out. You can go to the website, littlewoodsmovie.com, to find out more about the film mm-hmm. and where it'll be screening. This is your first feature-length film. You've done some shorts in the past. Yeah. Um, what was mm-hmm. that? What is it, as, a, uh, as an artist, as a writer, this is your work. The, you know, it's being turned into something uh, on, a, on a much grander scale than you've been maybe used to working in. Uh, and then what was that like? I know you assembled around you a great team. Tessa is also one of the executive producers. But what was that transition like for you as an artist and for as a filmmaker to to jump from short films into a feature length film with uh, with high end uh, talent like the, these two women? Um, it's really about um, endurance and stamina, um, and really choosing the best people who are really going to support you. And that's what I had with everyone that was involved with the movie. It was it was I had a really great experience because I really felt like I, I was in really good hands. Um, and that's what I thought about the entire time. It's like, how do I insulate myself from failure? But how do I also surround myself with talented people who are going to care as much, as much about the movie as I do? Takes a village, right? It, it's about the people you have around yeah. you. Uh, and when you've got executive producers like Tessa and others, I mean, there's a ton of other people involved, but the great cinematographers. The, the film looks great. Uh, and that's, that's oh, a, thank you so much. That's Matt Mitchell, right? The, your cinematographer in this? Yeah, Matt is amazing, and and he came into the process, and he was he was so wonderful, and I and I really we, we were great collaborators. Like I told him the look I wanted, I told him how purposeful I wanted to be able to look. I really wanted to make sure that we were specific about why we were shooting things the way we were going to be shooting them. I told him I love zooms, and he was really into that. So um, it was really it was really a great time with him. Well, the the color palette for the film is it's mostly dark. I mean, the, the, it's mostly a lot of stuff at night. A lot of things yeah. that, that, but at the same time, yeah, it it it's a very distinct looking film, and I think it, the two of you did such yeah. a great job here. Um, that's always to me wh- whenever you. whenever I'm looking at a film and trying to sort of figure out how it was put together, that collaboration between director and cinematographer seems to be such a highly critical part of developing a a, a good a good film. One hundred percent. It's it's so important, and I was really grateful and, and really lucky to have Matt uh, by my side. You you mentioned Sundance, and for for filmmakers who listen to the show, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, it, it, that's another part of this getting getting your film. And before we get to that, the, the sort of the the other help that you got in the film, um, I want to let people know who haven't obviously haven't seen the film yet. But uh, this this film reminded me of, and I I don't like to do this because I don't want to somehow 
it's not always an apples to apples comparison, but it reminded mm-hmm. me of Winter's Bone a, a little bit, the film, as well mm-hmm. as Frozen River, two of my favorite yeah. films from from going back a long ways now. But in the sense of the look of it and the and the situation that people were finding themselves in and their determination to change how that dynamic was. Is that a fair yeah. comparison for people who haven't seen the film or maybe looking for a reference with those two? Do oh, 100%. You... Those, are, those are very inspirational films for me. Um, just in terms of seeing a movie about women, I kind of didn't know existed in a, in a way. Like, obviously, I know they existed, but um, it was wonderful to be let into that world. Um, and, I, and I definitely am honored to be in, you know, in that same list of films. Well, it it really does. It matches up extremely well with with those two films, and they're like I said, they're just remarkably well done. A film that that uh, and this is the thing about you know your first film. This was a film that was not a high budget film, so you had to work with. I'm yeah. sure you had to work with whatever you could in order to make this work. But it's not you know it's that and and it's the supporting cast as well. And I haven't even mentioned some of the great supporting cast you you have in the film. Oh, yeah. If you want to bring anyone up. Uh, but uh, oh yeah, I mean Lance Reddick was such a—he's so wonderful. I, I thought he's just amazing, and I and I had such a good time working with him. Uh, James Badgedale and Luke Kirby—they also came down. Like the three of them kind of came down to shoot with us for like two or three days, and and knocked out all their scenes, and they were just—it was knocked out of the park, and I and it was such a good experience. I, I felt really again so fortunate to have the the team that I had. Oh, you did, and you you mentioned Lance, <clears throat> excuse me, Lance Reddick, who people know from this yeah. John Wick. From John Wick, but he yeah. he's absolutely wonderful. He's one of those guys in a film like yours where you need somebody who sort of grounds the film. You need somebody who's there, mm. who's who can go either way. He can be a, a tremendous help to Ollie, but at the same time, you know that there's a potential for real disaster if things go off the rails. Yeah. And he, he provides that gravitas in that role that immediately draws you in. He's really good in the film. And, and as you mentioned... 100%. Yeah, James Badge, uh, Dale, as well as Luke Kirby, they're all excellent. It's across the board. Well, I just want to congratulate yeah. you, uh, and, and I hope that you have other work in, in, in the works, uh, because this is just such a strong yeah. film. Do you? You've got stuff, other stuff coming up? Yeah. I'm, the next film that I'm making is, um, is a spiritual sequel to Candyman, it's being written by uh, Jordan Peele and Lynn Rosenfeld for Monkey Paw and uh, MGM Universal, and um, that's the next product I'm, I'm on, and I'm really, really excited about it. Well, I'm, I got a big smile on my face. Go, big, big high five on that! <laughs> I know that working with the, <laughs> an amazing array of people there—that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, great news. Well, Nia DaCosta, uh, this is, again, the film is Little Woods, uh, and it's out in theaters uh, on April 19th here in Southern California. You can go to littlewoodsmovie.com to find out where it'll be screening and how you can find out more about it. And my my hat's off to you for this wonderful work, and I look forward. I hope you'll come back and join us again here on Film School. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.